0: You know, I'm sure that uh, all of us feel a certain pressure uh, to maintain or even achieve a certain standard of living, to have enough, you know, enough to live a respectable life, maybe a respectable house, drive a respectable car, be able to see our children receive a suitable education. And uh, many different things that we could put on a list of what we regard as basic necessities. And of course it has to be in the context of our own world where we live. There's also pressure that would lure us beyond that. That would, you know make us want to feel we don't have enough, that we need more, more. um, Pressures that would create a sense of dissatisfaction in us. Thirst for more. In his wonderful book, Vanishing Grace, Philip Yancey describes something that is pretty familiar to most of us. He says that 18 minutes out of every hour, television allots to commercials, that tempt us to buy the latest products. Designer shoes and jeans, exercise machines, video games, smartphones, with such urgencies that on special sale days, crowds line up all night and trample each other when the doors finally open. A consumer economy fans thirst that only its products can quench. It's not just commercials, but there are many kind of pressures that, you know, make us want to feel that we have more. Now, I recognize that advertising is necessary in our world as we have it in the world that we live. I mean, you've got to get the message out. If you want to sell coffee, you've got to let people know that you're selling coffee, of course. And I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I for one enjoy many of the commercials. And, of course, it has something to do with me being in communication, right? And so I recognize, wow, that's creative. (laughs) That was well done. And I can even imagine myself, uh, well, you know, fantasize, let's put it that way, uh, being responsible to kind of draw up some kind of creative kind of advertising. But at the same time, we have to resist the pressure from whatever source, The pressure that would create in us sort of a hunger for more or an uneasiness that we just don't quite have enough. I think that's reality today. That's part of our world. In the text we're going to be looking at today, there is a word that is very significant and we're looking at testimony of Paul and the word is contented. Contented. If you'll notice that uh, verse in Philippians 4 verse 11 and also 12 and how he he's really saying something pretty amazing when you think about it. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Content. What is it? One writer described her childhood as very pleasant and happy. She and her family enjoyed life and they were very content until the arrival of Eaton's catalog. (laughs) <laughs> now, I can relate to that better as an older person. I remember Eaton's catalog. I, we don't see that anymore. <laughs> but you know, my habit was t- quickly to turn to uh, the NHL hockey jerseys, okay? That was my world at the time. Content until all of these goods were, <laughs> were available and, uh, and displaying themselves, right? What is it? Well, one definition of being content is to be satisfied with one's lot. That's very good, I think. Satisfied with one's lot. Another one is having the desires limited to that which one has. <laughs> Your desires limited by what you have. And a more complete one and I think this one may very well be a, a you know, a reflection of Christian teaching. An inward sufficiency, not dependent upon external circumstances, an inward sufficiency, not dependent upon external circumstances. Well, in the context of uh, that verse that we just looked at, Paul is actually writing about money, and he thanks the church at Philippi for their financial gift, and uh, he commends them for it but it's almost like he is uh, walking a bit of a tightrope. He wants to commend them for the gift, affirm them and thank them for it, and yet he doesn't want to take away from the sense of contentment because he's teaching contentment or or testifying to his own contentment. And so it's like he's saying, thank you for the gift. Um, I'm okay. It's not as if I really... I don't know how you do that diplomatically, but it's almost like, uh, see, see what I mean when I read this. Let's uh, look at, at uh, these verses, beginning at verse 10. Why do we stand together and say those words together? I rejoiced. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him, who gives me strength. Thank you. Please be seated. As we look at what he is saying here about contentment, I want to wrap my thoughts around three of the expressions in the text there. And uh, together, you know, they sort of form an equation that explains the reason for his contentment. He says, I have learned, whatever the circumstances, And then through him who gives me strength. Beginning with, I have learned. It seems like uh, coming to the place of contentment was a process for him. And he says this in in two places there, both in 11 and 12. I have learned to be content. verse 12, the same is, I have learned. In every situation, I can do all this. Learn the secret of being content. Apparently, a process. Martin Luther said that next to faith, this is the highest art, to be content with the calling in which God has placed you. And then he admits, I have not learned it yet. And so there's hope for all of us, I think. If we feel we're not quite there yet, okay, we're in good company. But it's a process. I like the story about a Quaker who was welcoming a new resident into the neighborhood and uh, this is what he said to him If you need anything, neighbor, be sure to let me know, and I'll teach you how to get along without it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll teach you. Paul's whole experience as a Christian has been a schooling, and he has learned the lesson. There have been sufferings, there's been letdowns, there have been joys, there have been victories. But in it all and through it all, God had enabled him to face it. He had learned contentment in every situation. And so it is, when we begin to follow Jesus Christ, we mustn't, we mustn't think of it as just simply walking across a line, you know, and that's it. Uh, and I like the expression, followers of Christ, because that indicates we're on a journey. We're heading somewhere. We don't have it all together right away. It's a process to become, as was expressed in uh, Johnston's prayer, to become like Jesus Christ. Christ Christ-likeness is a process. I wonder what he is working at in my life right now. I wonder what he's working at in your life right now. And I suggest usually we don't even know what it is, and that's just as well. You know, our children are growing, and they're not aware that they're growing, right? And yet, look back. Wow, how they've come. And so it is in our life too. We are a project. God is working in us. He is working to produce something, to become more like Him. Well, we see in Paul, he had learned that he can be content whatever his situation. But what really makes it remarkable is the second expression here. Whatever the circumstances, the process I have learned But now we could say the scope. Whatever the circumstances, whatever his situation, he had learned a kind of contentment that is not tied to or dependent on the level of his finances and what they can provide. See, often we assume that uh, contentment is to be found if we can only reach that certain level, you know? If I could just get that raise, if I could just have that next promotion, then then I can get a, a better house, or I can buy a nicer car. John D. Rockefeller, business magnate and philanthropist, one of the wealthiest Americans of all time, was asked how much money it would take to be really satisfied. And I'm sure many of you have heard his answer to that. How much money does it take to be really satisfied? Rockefeller's answer, just a little bit more. Yeah, just a little bit more. A wealthy employer overheard a worker talking. If only I had a hundred dollars, I would be perfectly content. So he approached her and said, since I would like to see someone who is perfectly contented, I'm going to grant you your desire. And so he gave her the $100 and then he left. But before he was out of earshot, he heard her exclaim, almost bitterly, why on earth didn't I say 200 <laughs> Just a, a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Paul was indifferent about how much he had, and you see the, the contrast here. He talks about having experienced where he was where he had little or where he was in need, or where he had plenty, uh, well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. And he's talking about a contentment that transcends all of that, whatever the situation. I've learned to be content. Poverty, and he was okay with that. Plenty, he was okay with that. And so we see here that not all of his life was marked by going without. He had also experienced great prosperity. But in the same way that privations could do him no harm, so he was equally immune from harm when fortune smiled. He could handle plenty as well. And sometimes that might take extra grace, being able to handle plenty and not get sidetracked. And yet Paul was able to do that. Now, if he had only been teaching here about enduring hardship and being okay in the context or experience of difficult circumstances, then I suppose the lesson would simply be about that. We are not to be greedy. We are not to, uh, you know, worry about riches. But we're, we're going to just simply endure even if we don't have very much. But because he talks about both, I suggest that there is a higher level lesson here than simply being able to handle deprivation, okay? Or poverty, I believe that the higher lesson here is that of indifference about how much there is. He doesn't give money the credit of saying I'm better off this way or that way. In fact, it's kind of like he's saying I'm indifferent to all that. I don't pay attention. I don't know how much I have. I don't know how much I have. Casual, indifferent, it's like the amount of money has whether he's got a lot or little it doesn't show up on his screen now assuming you know that you've got the necessities I don't think anyone I don't think Paul or anyone else is trying to say here you should be content even if you're starving I don't think that's what it's about because there's another passage where uh, he says that if we uh, 1st Timothy 6 8 if we have food and clothing we will be content okay but assuming that we have those, those necessities, it's like, it's, it's irrelevant. And that to me is a higher level lesson, that money is irrelevant. We are living in an era now, in our, in our particular world, where uh, we are ethnically diverse. And I suggest that we've all accepted that the ideal is to be colorblind, right? We want our people to be colorblind. It's irrelevant whether you're black, white, or something in between. I think Paul here is saying, I'm really money blind. It doesn't really count on the rate, or one way or the other. Wouldn't it be wonderful? if we could be money blind not really noticing the economic level of the other person or if noticing not respecting the other person more or less because of what they have or what they don't have that as Christians we were completely indifferent about other people's income related to whether we admire them less or or not See, in the kingdom of this world, money talks. In the kingdom of this world, money silences. But as Christ followers, we belong to a different kingdom, a different kingdom with different values and standards and priorities, with an allegiance to a different king. Remember what James said to my brothers and sisters? Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Believers in the one who stooped to the very bottom in order to serve us all. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And then he goes into the example. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and a fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes, also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? The very judgment that this person is worth more than the other person is is like taking God's place. You become judges. Judges. Now, I think we understand, but maybe we haven't thought about it. I think we understand that James here isn't only teaching about seating arrangements. Can you imagine all the work and the protocol that was uh, employed in yesterday's wedding to make the seating arrangements just right? See, if that's all that James was talking about, it would be easy to deal with it, right? Because that's obvious. That's apparent. We can handle that. But I'm afraid there are times in the church where, well, money talks. Money silences. And these are, these are more subtle happenings. This is far more subtle than the seating arrangements. Paul expresses and teaches a wonderful indifference about whether he had much or little. And he was content either way. Hmm. But he's blind, money blind. Well, we say, well, how in the world could that happen? And, of course, the key is that well-known verse in verse 13, through him who gives me strength. I can do all of this. And he's talking about being content. I can do all of this through Him who gives me strength. Content. It was a favorite word of the Stoics. It was used to describe the person who was self-sufficient and able to exist without anything or anyone. And Paul uses the word saying, yes, I'm sufficient. I'm adequate. But, he says, it wasn't self. Adequacy, but it was from the lord he found his sufficiency in the lord and he's saying i have a certain independence because of my dependence i have a certain independence related to what i possess because of my dependence on the lord i can do all things through him who strengthens me This text is about all situations, both good and bad, all the prosperous and adverse circumstances which one must encounter in the course of everyday living. And Paul is saying, I can face all conditions of my life. Humiliation or exaltation, plenty to eat or not enough, wealth or poverty, as well as other external circumstances like these. I can endure all those things, how? Through him who gives me strength through the power of Christ working in me by the Holy Spirit. But I want to I stress something here. It is so important not to lift verse 13 out of its context. It's a verse, if you've grown up in the church, I think you've heard this verse quoted from day one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But not to lift it out of the context. You see, this isn't about fulfilling your dreams, whatever they may be. This is not like saying I can get straight A's because of Him who gives me strength. I can become a millionaire. Or I can grow a church. Or I can be successful at anything I try because of Christ. This is not about your dreams. This is about the things that are placed on your plate things that might be very difficult and specifically, first and foremost, it's about money and things though I think we can apply the confidence to other things that God, like I say, puts on our plate. but let's not forget that immediately and directly it's about the ability to be content with more or less content with whatever Because after all, our Lord had a lot to say about money. In fact, the Bible says more about money than practically anything else. One statistic is that there are more than 2,300 verses in the Bible about money. And certainly one of the most significant differences between living according to this world standards and kingdom standards has to do with our attitude and actions related to money and the things that money can buy. I can be content with having more or less through Him who gives me strength. You know, we're used to emphasizing the power of Christ in other kinds of victories, you know, freeing men and women from their various enslavements, drugs, uh, freeing prostitutes from their way of life, freeing criminals from their way of life, The power of Christ operates in all those. And that's wonderful. But here we have a testimony of that power working to produce something that is not that sensational. Something that is more mundane, perhaps even boring. The capacity to be content. Doesn't sound very exciting, does it? That's what he's talking about here. The capacity to be content. Content in whatever circumstance And so contentedness then is not simply a matter how much you have might be a matter of indifference but contentedness is not a matter of indifference for it is part of what Christ works in us and it's part of God's call. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And then it gives a reason for that, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And their contentment is related to trust. God is with me, so I can be content. I don't have to worry. I can be content with more or less. There's a challenge here for all of us. But you know, I think there's also a freedom here. A freedom that we don't have to believe we can stop believing, we can quench those signals we get that in order to rate, you have to have a certain level of income in order to really matter, in order to have significance, that those who earn more have greater significance. We are freed from that, according to this verse. The gospel is good news for that kind of enslavement. I wonder, could it be that we have missed an important opportunity for Christian witness, Christian credibility, by not emphasizing this? I wonder how many people have failed to find the Christian faith credible, partly because they have found that in the scheme of things, they have found in their experience that Christians are just as materialistic, just as driven, just as discontent, with a little and just as ambitious to have more and more and more as everyone else and that does not reflect well on the power of Christ or faithfulness to him who said do not lay up treasure on earth so often we affirm we applaud we cheer we congratulate people when you know when they have achieved something you know when they got that nicer house or that nicer car and I'd like, to, I'd like to call for a reverse trend. Let's affirm our young people, for example, and millennials tend to be more into this. Let's affirm them when they furnish their apartments by going to garage sales or when they buy clothes at thrift stores. See, it's not, it's not that we have to slam wealth here or the wealthy. We shouldn't. But what we are contending with is that part of the culture that says that more is better and that to to really rate you need to have more. That's where we find our contention. And so why don't we affirm? And I think some of us are doing that. Sounds like it. We know the the kind. (laughs) They want to keep their life simple. Yeah, I think that fits. And so as we go from here, then, three things I want, I want us to, you know, to leave on our minds. Okay, three principles here. And, and again, as I said before, I think these three, too, sort of form an equation that will help us towards contentment, daily contentment. Number one, remember, keep in mind, keep thinking about it, the limits, the limits of material prosperity A Roman statesman said, money has never yet made anyone rich. Yeah, I like that. Richard Foster, in his Freedom of Simplicity, he wrote, he says, learn the wonderful truth that to increase the quality of life means to decrease material desire. Close your ears to the ads that bellow their four-letter obscenities more, more, more. Well, that's Richard Foster, but far more important is what Jesus said. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Yeah. Remember, think about, ponder the limits of wealth. Secondly, learn to default. Lean, I should say, lean towards Generosity, default, inclined towards generosity. Remember, in this context, Paul is thanking these first readers, the people in the Philippi, uh, Philippian church, for their financial gift to him. <laughs> Ours is a Filipino church, right? <laughs> well, this came from the Philippian church, and it was a thank you letter. There had been a giving and a receiving. That's what it's the context there. And so, I would say default, incline yourself towards generosity. Being generous isn't simply a matter of taxing yourself so that you can give more, but it's a way of life. A generous, leaning kind of an attitude. And that would include adjusting, like I said, the simple lifestyle. Sometimes making adjustments so that you can be more generous. And then the third one is be grateful intentionally, deliberately, at all times, set your mind to thanking God for all of your blessing. Focusing on what you have, not on what you don't have. My cup is half full still. <laughs> now not wonderful? My cup? I'm getting so much older. Oh, yes I am. But you know what? I've had all those years. I've had all those years. My cup is half full. Not my cup is half empty. And we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to others, but we do. And when we do, why don't we contrast ourselves, not with those who have more and we wish we could be there, but let's contrast ourselves with those who have so little. The millions. Yes, even in our, even in Canada, there are probably millions who have less than we do. Grateful for what we have. We're blessed to be a blessing, blessing others by being generous, and blessing the Lord, O oh my soul, with our gratefulness. Let's pray. Father, you have enriched us. And we begin by expressing that, by acknowledging that you've given us much and we thank you and father we express to our dependence upon you for any measure of contentedness and joy and happiness and living the life that we're called to live we're dependent upon you because it's through through you that we can be content and reflect the other characteristics of being like christ and so we express that and we pray now that you would direct us as we go from here that we might be people that are grateful and people that are generous and people that continue to honor your name and we ask it in jesus name amen